Hi everybody and a very pleasant good day to you wherever you may be. If you have made it this far into the show already, you're listening to my personal podcast, talking everything sports for an hour at a time. I'm your host, Nolan Ruth, an amateur sports personality that will hopefully have his own national show one day, coming to you from somewhere you're not. I have a good show ahead, as I always do, typically. Uh, mainly talking about the day that I had today. Uh, today is Monday, October 10th. It is Indigenous People's Day, Columbus Day. I'm equal opportunity. So whatever you want to call it, you call it that. It is that day. It's been a pretty uh, pretty good day for, I think, most people. A lot of people being off of work. Been pretty chill for a lot of people. Uh, for me, it's been a day of kind of working my butt off. It's been a grinding day. But it's been a good day, I'm not going to lie, and you'll hear about that later in the show. Um, last week I said buckle up. You don't necessarily have to buckle up. This one's going to be more light higher, more lighthearted, excuse me. And uh, it, I will be paying tribute to a friend, so it will get a little deep, but uh, it won't get uh, into a personal area that last week's did. And not only will you be hearing me, but to help rebound my points and to make the show a little more interesting... I welcome on the one-time chappy of the Nolan and Company Sports Podcast, the first branding of the show, and my father, Michael William Ruth. Thanks for having me, son. Appreciate it. Of course. And you're the second person in the past two weeks to have the name William in your name, as <laughs> Seth does as well. It's gonna, we're going to have some interesting topics today because I, I wanted to talk to you specifically because when I rebranded and I decided to launch the show again, Seth threw, like, pr- practically threw himself at me and said, I want to do this. You know, I might as well do the whole show with you. And I feel that, um, you know, as being your one-time co-host and good friend, I could do that. And I feel like well, we had a really, really good first show under the rebranding of Nolan's Corner. So I had a choice to make for my second show. And I thought about one, which was the real Blake T. Martin, who was the one who really started Nolan the Company Sports with me. Um, He will make an appearance later, hopefully. And then the other one was you, Dad, because you you, you and Blake both, you know, you, you in a lot of ways, but Blake was really the one who was with me on the road, grinding it out as much as we could. And I wanted a familiar voice from my podcast listeners to hear and in that regard, you both kind of came equal. But something happened last night in Queens that has created somewhat of tension between you and I that you made the perfect person to come on these airways with. <laughs> and you were already prepared for it, I'm glad. Um, because you are admittedly a San Diego Padres fan. And my listeners know that I'm a Los Angeles Dodgers fan. And so usually there's a divisional aspect going into it but now we are playing three games for someone to move on to the nlcs and play for the pennant uh you've already said three games it might go five you've already counted up a sweep there um, i'm prepared for the sweep the, i don't uh, know if you are what what i <laughs> what, what i will say is that uh it's an honor and you could not have gone wrong with blake um either um you know i i love blake very much and i'm glad that um, he's going to be a part of this again. So <clears throat> the real Blake T. Martin, uh, I hope to hear you on this show again soon. Uh, and I'd like to be um, joining you both at the same time. That'd be great. 
So thank you for having me on. And yes, uh, what happened in Queens last night uh, was awesome. Uh, I am admittedly a Padres fan. Um, the reason I am is I lived there for three to four years um, in my teens and uh, just latched onto them. Um, you know, I, I hate that the Chargers left uh, and went to LA. Uh, I really just love San Diego. And I think the Padres, what a great story, right? The only pro team they've got there. Um, I think they're building a great team. And, uh, yeah, it's going to be fun these next couple of days. And I'm not prepared for it to be three. I think it can at least go four. So, Well, we had a little bit of breaking news with the Dodgers announcing their game one and game two starter. And Kershaw will, in fact, not be the game one starter, but instead be Urias. That's who correct. Who will – in my mind, as a Dodger fan and seeing this team and knowing this team, is a good way to start the series because, no, he's not necessarily your ace. But if you go back and look at what he has done against the Padres thus far in the year, I think will make a good game one. And you know what? As, as in some cases it happened this year as well, he might give up that third inning, fourth inning home run that gets the Padres a little bit of momentum. But the Dodgers have enough – I'll say reliability in their bullpen. They trust it enough. Uh, and in their batting lineup to where I don't think it'll make a difference. I think that the best case scenario for the Padres is to silence this Dodgers lineup as much as they possibly can. Because if the Dodgers score six runs, it's over. That game is over. The Padres are not going to outscore the Dodgers. Uh, and your your eyes was was a is a great game one starter. Then you got Kershaw game two. So in my mind, what the Dodgers are looking at is they're looking at game one to be a little bit closer than they would be comfortable with. But they're gonna, they're relying on their lineup, and then they want to get the win. And assuming they're going to get the win, they throw Kershaw game two, and they're trying to make it a quick two zero and have the Padres chasing. Yeah, I, I think that <clears throat> you know, <clears throat> excuse me, um, you know. Pods are going with Clevenger first, and I don't even know that he's faced the Dodgers this year. Um, but, you know, he's 7-7 seven and seven on the year, ERA of four, 433. I, I think that the Padres at this point are just – I'm not saying they're giving up game one, but I think that their, their goal is to get one, obviously, out of the first two, right? That's your goal. Um, I, and, again, I'm not saying they're giving up, but I think that they've really – um, position them themselves well um, after last night in Queens uh, to have their bullpen and to have their starting pitching where it needs to go with Kershaw. Uh, I love Kershaw, obviously being a Dallas kid, uh, but he's had his struggles in the playoffs as well. And it'll be interesting to see uh, how he goes out with game two. Um, you know, as far as Urias is concerned, uh, his numbers against the um, Padres this year, uh, look really good. Um, let's see. Hang on. His uh, ERA against them is like, uh, are their their batting average is 160. Uh, he has given up the homer. He's given up six homers against them. But you know, game one I think is going to be Chavez Ravine is going to be on fire, and I, I will be interested to see after game two if Padres can take game two what that will look like at Petco at game three. Padres have not hosted a game in a while. That city loves their team, and I think that will be interesting to see. Again, I'm not saying that we give up game one, but I'm pretty sure the Dodgers will probably take game one, 
and San Diego just needs to get out of there with a split. You make an interesting point talking about Petco Park, or as us Dodger fans like to refer it as, Dodger Stadium South, <laughs> because I'm not quite sure how much of a home field advantage that will bring. I know the Padres are taking uh, measures to make sure that Padre fans are getting these tickets, but I have personally seen the Dodgers not only in Arlington once, but I've seen them twice. Um, of course, because of COVID-19, one of those was a uh, playoff game against the Braves. It wasn't against the Rangers, but I've seen them against the Rangers. And that place was, I would be willing to say, 65 to 70% Dodger fans, <clears throat> much like when the Red Sox are in town, where the Yankees are in town, which I know you have seen. Yep. And so the fact that uh, that's not that far of travel, um, it's a bit of a trip, you know, with traffic there on the, on the left coast, but... <laughs> it's not that far and it's something that I think a lot of Californians especially Dodger fans in the playoffs and probably Padres fans in the playoffs I won't lie are willing to make and so I'm wondering how much home field advantage actually will play into this now of course measurements are different every outfield and every park is different when it comes to outfield walls and how far you gotta hit a home run alleys are different for base hits stuff like that that's going to play a factor you're gonna be wrong Matter of fact, I think Dodger Stadium is one of the most classic ballparks in that regard because it's almost an exact oval. Petco is the opposite. Petco has corners. Petco has a porch. You know, it, it, it's going to be different in that regard. But to me, that uh, – let's see, this is baseball. So, I guess you'd say 10th man. Like, that – I'm wondering how big a factor that will be because I don't think it personally will be at all, if you know, if any. I, I <clears throat> So, I think the 10th man in this series – is the Padres themselves. I saw a team last night against the Mets that had belief. I, you know, game one, they took game Mets, one from, from Max Serger. I'm sorry, yes, Matt, Matt sorry. They took the, the first game from the Mets, right? They they drove Max Serger out of the game. Uh, game two, obviously, the Mets were playing up against the wall. And I think that, you know, game three, Padres said, you know, we have nothing to lose, right? And um, – what a great performance last night, all around. Uh, you're getting, you're getting clutch hitting um, that you know from the bottom of the lineup, and that's where you win ball games uh, in the playoffs. And so, uh, yeah, it, I think it's going to be feast or famine. I think the Padres are either going to come in and really give the Dodgers a series, or it will be a sweep. Um, and. and so, I, you know, again, game one, I'm not going to put too much into game one. It's the best out of five. Um, and typically in the best out of five, the, the cream rises to the, to the top, right? And, and that's typically what happens in, in a short series like that. Seven-game series can be a little bit more different. But, um, you know, I, I, I'm not going to give a, a, a lot of credence to, to the Padres going and winning, but I, I think that they can do it. Uh, now they are 4-15 and 15 this, this year against the Dodgers, which is, you know, against them. But, um, you know, I, it's baseball, and that's what's great. There's no time. There's no clock. It's 27 outs. you got to get 27 outs. And we saw that in the Phillies and Cardinals series, right? Cardinals were up two to nothing in the bottom of, or the top of the ninth, and the Phillies came back and took care of it. And there's no clock. You've got to get outs. And I think that's what the Padres will have for them. And we'll see how the, the, the Dodgers' bullpen will stand up, and we'll see how the Padres' bullpen stands up. Bullpens are huge in the playoffs. Starting pitching is obviously huge. The further you can go, 
But this is a new day and age, right? <clears throat> so starters don't go that long, and it's going to be the bullpen, and it's going to be clutch hitting at the bottom of the lineup. So you bring up the bullpen, and I want to know, because in my mind, you know, we saw a clinic from Joe Musgrove yesterday uh, against the Mets. And I think that that's a great deal. And the the problem for the Padres is you're going to have to save them for game three. And you, you and I talked about that off the air last night. And you brought up, hey, that's fine, save them for game three. Uh the problem that I see with that is you might be already down two games and nothing, and you might get one back. But where do you go from there? And But on the opposite side, the thing that the Padres got outside of that was that they didn't have to use that bullpen pitching. Right, right. They have a fresh bullpen that I think is going to be more dangerous than anything. So my question for there is you got to give Musgrove those, those days of rest. Looking at the Padres' pitching rotation – who do you throw game one, game two? You got to figure you Darvish figures in there somewhere. <clears throat> Who knows the Dodgers lineup? Knows a lot of these guys. Played with them back in 2017. Knows what they want to hit. Knows what they're expecting to see. Musgrove is the same way. Playing for the Astros in 2017 and winning that World Series. And uh, you know, uh, you know, all trash can banging aside, still knows what these guys want to see. And so I think game three will be interesting if Musgrove in fact gets the nod for that. But. These first two games, you got to be wondering where the Padres are going to be looking because this is a Dodgers lineup that can do a lot of damage, and they can do a lot of damage early. And I think that's the one thing the Padres don't want to have to do is get into a position where they have to chase from the get-go. Yeah, I, you know, you're, Darvish is definitely going to have to figure in, in one of the first two games, right? And, I mean, he's obviously not starting uh, tomorrow. Um, Darvish has to show up, and he has in the past. Uh, he has had his struggles in the playoffs, but I think that you know he's going to have to he's going to have to show up. And I think that if you can throw he uh, and Musgrove back to back in two and three, um, then you know what? Maybe we go back to San Diego. You know, maybe we're 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 two one, um, and we got to close out game in San Diego. And then what happens if if we don't? Then we have Musgrove in Game Five back in L.A. And I think that'd be a really good you know that'd be an interesting. Um, pitching matchup to see what the Dodgers would do and how they handle their uh, their pitching staff there. Uh, again, I just think that <clears throat> from a San Diego uh, standpoint, some of their, um, you know, some of the players that we didn't expect for them to actually do anything has, they've, they've, they've come up, they've come together, right? I mean, Gallagher, great game. He's, he's batting 500 for crying out loud. I mean, he's had three home runs in three games. Uh, you got Kim at shortstop because Tatis Jr. is, you know, an idiot. Um, so, you know, it, I, I think that the Potters have just come together as a team. And I think we kind of saw that with the Dodgers a couple of years ago. You know, the Dodgers came together as a team and, and really made a run in the playoffs when they, you know, I don't know that anybody really picked them to win the World Series that year. Uh, but they came together as a team. And I would say the same thing for the Braves last year. Who saw the and even this year? Who saw the Braves were how many fifteen games back in in July, and they came back and and got to the Mets. You know, I mean that's that's it's amazing. And I mean the Mets do what the Mets do, but baseball is 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 it's a long game, it's a marathon, and now you're in the playoffs, and now it's a sprint, and so it's a very interesting game in the playoffs. That's why I love it. That's why I love the NHL playoffs because right, they're just it's a different game. Uh, at this point, 162 games, that's a long season. And now you're down to, 
man, you better win three out of five or otherwise you're going home. It's not, it's not a road trip where you get to come back and come back home and, and, um, you know, play your game at home. This is a, again, winner take all right. So love, love the playoffs. And I think the Padres, if Darvish can show up on game two and game two, I'm, I'm assuming they're going to throw him game two. I haven't seen anything. Then I think the Padres have a chance. You brought up the Mets, and it was a very Mets way for the season to end, and I almost hate to say that because I know a lot of Mets fans, uh, but it was entertaining to watch for those of us that aren't Mets fans <laughs> expecting that to happen. And if you've listened to any form of this show, whether you listen to Parker County Sports or Nolan and Company Sports, this is a show that loves to crap on the Mets. So it was a fun series there that I, I'm actually looking forward to. And I brought this up to your attention because the Mets – actually kind of own the Dodgers during the regular season as opposed to the Dodgers owning the Padres in the regular season. So for a Dodger fan, I'm almost relieved that we're staying on the West Coast and playing y'all not far from home in a stadium that we can call Dodger Stadium South as opposed to having to go to the East Coast for game three and potentially four. Uh, that, that, That to me brings a lot of comfort because these are two teams that know each other almost more so on the Dodgers side that I think that, you know, I... My bias aside, you know, I got to talk to Rafael Palmero earlier today, and we'll get to that later. But uh, you know, Rafi was telling me the same thing. Name dropper, you're just a name dropper. I know. Uh, Well, (laughs) yeah, get ready for the next segment. I know, I'm well aware. Um, But uh, Rafi was telling me how how he thinks that this might be the the year of the classic series. He thinks that from what he's seen, he likes the Yankees and he likes the Dodgers. And he told me that it might be the first World Series that he's watched every single game of in the past 20 years. And so I'm, I'm, I'm looking forward to seeing what happens there. Let's move on from uh, that one but, particular series. Go ahead. If you yeah, have a point. No, it, no yeah, if we're going to no, move to another series, let's move to another series. Otherwise, I was going to tell you, I would tap the brakes on that because as much as it pains me, the Disastros are pretty darn good. And that's gonna it's going to have to go through Houston. And I... Just, just be careful. So let's start with that series then, because the, the, obviously this is a feel-good story and one that I feel that the United States of America can really get behind. And the Mariners not having playoff success—they haven't been here but once in my lifetime—and then they got swept. I don't think they've won a playoff game in my life. And so this is something. But they're the hot team this year. Um, their regular season, I, I don't know their regular season record against the Astros, but obviously they kept it close enough, and I do think they beat them a few times in pretty convincing fashion that makes me think if this game does not go to five games, it, or if this series does not go to five games, it may go to four at least. Because I think the Mariners are that team that, that have gotten hot at the right time. We saw what they did in Toronto. Even when they got down in Toronto, they were able to come back. Uh, and, and in baseball, especially in the divisional series and in the wild card, it's the hottest team that's usually going to come out on top. When you get to the NLCS in the World Series, that will usually peter out. But this is the series that if the hot team is going to win it, the hot team is going to win it. And so I'm almost con- uh, compelled to give Seattle a fighting chance going into this series. Well, if you think that the Seattle Seahawks have the 12th man, then you need to go back and watch – Seattle Mariner games in the early 2000s. Um, the Kingdom was rocking, and they loved their baseball. And 
again, as much as it pains me, being an AL West guy, obviously a Ranger fan, the Mariners have, have they always give us fits here in Arlington, right? It's just it's always every time we want to close out a series, it's either Oakland or Seattle. We have to close out to win the division. We can never do it. We we win because somebody else loses. Um, Seattle is going to give the Astros a run, I believe. I, I agree with you there. Um, but I just think the Astros top to bottom lineup pitching, man, they're tough. It, that's a tough team. Um, I, I would love to see an upset. Um, but I would love to see an upset when it's the Yankees on the other side. <laughs> um, so I, 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 I do give Seattle a fighting chance. There's no doubt about that, but I think the Astros at the end of the day are just a better team top to bottom. Verlander is dialed in. I mean, how old is that dude? He's like Tom Brady, right? I mean, he's he's just on it right now. He's got a great life. And, yes, he does. Um, and a <laughs> great married, wife. Married to Kato yes. Um I just think that the Astros are, are too talented top to bottom. And I think that, like I said earlier, when you're in a, a three to five series, a th- uh, the best three out of five series, typically – the better team always wins that series regardless just because the talent catches up with you, the depth catches up with you. Uh, you get into a best of seven, it's a different story, obviously. Things can happen, but I just think that the Astros are too much for Seattle. So I'm going to counter your point, and I'm going to make this quick because we have two other series to cover real quick before we go into Cowboys talk real quick. Uh, would you not agree with my point, though, that – Let's say Seattle can take one of these first two from the Astros in Houston, and now Houston has to go to T-Mobile Park in Seattle, where you just mentioned their home field advantage when their team is doing well and they're in the playoffs. Would you not at that point give them a fighting chance? Like I said, if it doesn't go five games, I would love to – and I think this is probably the most likely series to go four games at least. Yeah. I – yes, you're right. If – if Houston goes, if Houston goes one-one with Seattle and goes to T-Mobile, it's highly possible it's three-one. Totally possible, right? I mean, it's that's something that that could absolutely happen, and I think that that's what the Astros have played for though all year is that home field advantage, right? So that's why they get it. So I, you know, it it's or I'm sorry, two one. I didn't mean three one. Sorry, uh, it, they could go two one, but in Seattle and, and, and fight Astros for their lives. Yep, yeah, and and fight for their lives. But I think the Astros would do that, and I think they would come home, and I think they would finish it at that point. But yes, you are right. If it, if they go back one one, Seattle e- easily could take a game and put. Uh, the Astros on elimination. I definitely agree with you that if they split both and they go two and two and they go to game five, I don't give the Mariners much of a fighting <clears throat> chance back at Minimade for a, right. a series deciding game. I think the Astros will take it to that point. Uh, on the other side of the American League bracket, we have the Yankees and I have to be careful here, the <laughs> Guardians of Cleveland, who seem to also almost kind of a similar thing with the Mariners. They got hot late. Uh, the White Sox were leading this division at one point in the year. And a lot of people said this might be the White Sox year. And Cleveland comes out of nowhere, wins the division. Not only that, but bumps the White Sox out of the playoffs entirely. Uh, they they sweep uh, Tampa Bay in the wild card. And now, of course, they have to go to Yankee Stadium, which everyone knows that for being the hostile baseball environment that it can be. But I'm almost convinced to give Cleveland more of a fighting chance and b- believe me, I actually am picking the Yankees to win the American League, but I really almost give Cleveland a fighting chance more of an upset than I do Seattle at Houston. Yeah, I do as well, and I, and, and uh, there's a couple reasons for that. Um, 
one, the, the least reason, I'll start with the bottom. Uh, we saw what happened last night when San Diego hopped on the Mets, and, and we see the New York fans, and I'm sorry if there are New York fans out there. I don't want to lump you all in generality there, but we saw how quick that fan base, I mean, that stadium, the air was sucked out of it real quick. Um, they brought Edwin Diaz in and played narco and tried to get the fans pumped up and whatever. And I, so I think that the New York fans um, can can be, uh, you know, if they'll quit on you, I think. Um, and and so my main the, the main reason that I think that Cleveland has a chance here is the same thing. The Yankees were up. How big? How many game, Fifteen games up. Um, they had a huge lead, and they just started tanking at the end of the year. And that's, that's the Joey a, Gallo curse. Yeah, and that's a big deal in baseball. It really is. And you know, people will talk about, well, you know, some, some, you know, there's uh, momentum on one side versus the other, and I, I can debate momentum all day long. But I think the Yankees, those wheels started coming off, and you saw their manager Aaron Boone, right? He started freaking out a little bit. Um, press conferences got a little tense. Um, Aaron Judge got tense when he was getting close to 62. I, I think that they're just – I think they're trying too hard. They just need to get back to playing Yankee baseball. And if they do that, then, yes, they beat Cleveland. But right now, Cleveland's playing some good ball. And you can't – again, name someone on Cleveland that you can just say, okay, th- this is the guy who carries them. It's a team. It's another team effort there with Cleveland, I think, that really can just – I mean, come on. When the Yankees want to quit, they're going to quit. And I think that we've seen that in the past um, when they don't have the greatest teams. And they think that they're very similar to the Cowboys. You think just because you can throw that star on your your chest, you're going to go out there and win. I think the Yankees kind of have some of that as well. And I think Boone needs to really bring that in. And you're right. Cleveland can absolutely take that series, and I wouldn't be surprised if that did actually happen. So Cleveland appears to be the hot team coming into this series, but I'm also wondering how much the past three weeks have worn on the other Yankee players that aren't named Aaron Judge because the entire hype around their Yankees for the past three weeks, especially since they clinched playoff and they knew and everybody knew they were going, was Aaron Judge reaching 62, which Seth and I touched on a little bit last week. I'm wondering how much of that weighed on them, and I'm wondering, because I'm obviously a psychological person, if that's weighing on them and causing some kind of divide between not just Judge, but also Aaron Boone and the Yankee players and everybody else in the lineup. And I'm wondering if they were so focused on that and the buildup around Judge hitting 62 was so big that it took a toll on them. I'm wondering if they're going to come into this series flat-footed. And obviously... Obviously, they came in hot, and based on that point, the antithesis of that is obviously they tanked and they got low, and we've you know we all know the the swings that baseball can have, and I think that they got their cold streak out of the way almost at the same time. So I think that they actually might be able to get hot, and I think it's I think it's going to take one inning, and if they can score three runs in one inning in game one of this, I, I don't care if it's inning nine or inning one, if they can score three runs in one inning. In game one, something is going to light under those Yankees, and they're going to be the Yankees of the late 90s and the early 2000s that everybody feared. So I was just about to say that, that I think I would not be surprised if the Yankees come out tomorrow and win 8 nothing. That would not surprise me. Um, 
But I also would not be surprised if that happens and Cleveland comes back around and takes the next two. Because I think that that's just who the Yankees are at the moment. I, I really do. Um, I, I don't even I, – if I could pull it up, I would. But their, their run tally here in Arlington in the last series, uh, you know, the Rangers suck, man. And it took uh, – well, there was a 2-1 game, a 2-0 game. The Yankees just need to get back to who they are. And so, to your point, yes, they were probably – uh, it probably took a toll on him a little bit, but that's the point of the baseball manager. I will say that the two hardest jobs as far as managing and coaching goes is an NFL coach and a Major League Baseball coach. NBA coach, look, I can throw LeBron James out there and just say, go play ball, right? I don't need to draw something up. Hell, he'll draw something up. It doesn't matter. Uh, you know, the hockey, I love hockey, right? And it is all about matchups or whatever. But at the end of the day, it's skating and scoring. Baseball managers in a, in a locker room and an NFL coach in a locker room and on the field are very key to what happens on the field. They absolutely impact the game, and that's where I'm going to throw that on Aaron Boone. And if, if, if they lose this series or they don't win the World Series, in my opinion, it's on Aaron Boone. He lost this team in the summer as far as I'm concerned, and I'm not sure he gained it back. We got one more series to talk about real quick before we talk Cowboys. We got to make this pretty quick. We have the Atlanta Braves and the Philadelphia Phillies a series that Mets fans will be sitting back on their couches and really feeling sour about uh, because the Phillies ended, I think, a few games back of the Mets. And uh, and a lot of Mets fans' minds probably shouldn't have ended up in the playoffs regardless, nor should the Braves have. Uh, matter of fact, the Braves probably should have been in the same position as the Phillies, if anything, in Mets fans' minds. But here we are. We have Braves-Phillies. They're the two teams remaining in the East. And I feel that it's a lot of the same as what we talked about, Dodgers, uh, Padres. Now, these two teams don't share the same proximity, but the fact they're sharing the same time zone, there's not going to be a lot of jet lag. They're not having to go across the country. That's what, maybe an hour and a half, two-hour plane ride between the two. Travel is not going to be a thing, much like the Dodgers-Padres series is going, is, is going to be as well. And I almost feel that the Braves have caught that fire that I talked about the Yankees possibly grabbing because of the crash that the Mets had. And they kind of got under their into their minds, hey, we're the defending world champion. Whether we have Freddie Freeman at first base or not, we're the defending world champions of baseball. And it, it, it's almost kind of reminding me of the, you know, just the grit and determination of the 90s Braves that they had when I think they were only picked to win – two of those series they appeared in and they only won one of those you know and they played the Yankees and a few others and didn't win that one like it, it, it's almost grit and determination and I feel that and not to get political or too deep into politics but the baseball world and kind of the whole world has turned its back on Atlanta and I feel like this team feels that they have something to prove and that can be a dangerous thing especially when you're taking on a division mm-hmm. rival right. in the playoff series and so, look, despite Bryce Harper and, you know, everything the Phillies are bringing to the table, especially riding the hot streak they are and, you know, coming back against St. Louis in game one, I'm almost quaking in my boots if I'm a Phillies fan because I know what this Braves team is capable of, especially they don't necessarily have to be hot. You just have to do something to light that fire, and they're going to shut you up, and you're not going to do a darn thing. And I wouldn't be surprised. I'm actually picking this one to be the most likely for a sweep. That's just my opinion. Well, how are you feeling about that yeah, one? So, I, there, man, we saved this one, and we need to make it quick, and I don't know that I can make it quick. 
Um, first and foremost, I want—I do want to go back to the regional thing. I think it's very cool that we, with the exception of Seattle going to Houston, everything is to, is is regional at this point, right? There's not a lot of travel, which I like. I, I don't like teams that have to travel, and, and and ironically, both teams are in the West, right. in the same exactly. <laughs> but even then, Seattle has to travel to Houston. Well, they're used to doing that. They do it what you know, ten times a year, so or ten games a year, right? So they're they're used to that. Um, Atlanta, let's go real quick about Atlanta being gritty. Yeah, Atlanta had to play the Yankees, you know, in, in the 90s, and, and, the Yan- and the Braves were there every year, man, just competing. And, um, and yeah, the only team that they beat to win the World Series was, unfortunately, Cleveland. So, <laughs> poor Cleveland, again. Um, this, to me, I agree with you. I think the Phillies are going are a little scared here. Um, again, look at the Mets and the lead they had. Braves came back all all through the summer, fought back. They're on a roll, and it's like I said before, baseball definitely is. It's a roller coaster ride throughout the season, and in the playoffs, you can't afford to have a roller coaster ride. And right now, the Braves are riding high, in my opinion. But so are the Phillies. They just went into St. Louis and swept the Cardinals. I mean, who was expecting that? With, um, with with them playing with emotion with Wainwright and Molina and Pujols. Right. I mean, this was the year. Done. They, they're done after this year. And the Phillies went in there. And, I mean, game one alone, man, I sat here and just watched it, and I couldn't believe what I was watching. And that goes back to the no time. You got 27 outs, and – all they had to do was get three outs. They had 25. And they, yes, they had, they had believe one me, as a Ranger and, fan, yeah. I'm well aware of that one last out that we don't get. Um, and, Which is why it was so enjoyable for me to watch Peyton Peterson's face <laughs> melt while that happened. So um, I, I, I think I agree with you. I think that this is the series that would be a sweep. I think, well, in your series as well, I'm not going to sit here and tell you that I don't think uh, the Dodgers can't sweep the Padres. They most certainly can and, and most likely will. But I think it's most but likely that this one is th- the one This is the, the one, in my opinion, yes. I think the Braves, I mean, they're throwing uh, Freed game one. He owns the Phillies. I, I just think that it's going to be, I, I, you know, the Phillies have got to get a game in Atlanta, and I don't see that happening. I'm going to ask one more question because I think we can squeeze this in real quick. Does – is, does what the Bra- how do I wear this? The Braves in the past five to six years is this not reminding you kind of already of those '90s Braves? They've been to the ALCS multiple times. They lost NL. to the Dodgers one year. Yep. Uh, I'm sorry, NL. Yes, NL, NLCS. They lost to the Dodgers one year. They've been in the playoffs consistently. I think this is what their sixth year straight of winning the NL East. Yep. I mean, it's almost reminding me of the '90s it is. Braves. Yep. And, and you know, in history, it tends to repeat itself in baseball. I mean. It, that's why the Yankees have won so many times. That's why the Dodgers <laughs> won in 20, you know. like uh, t- History tends to repeat itself in baseball, which is why I'm so worried for the Rangers that we're going to get so close and get shut down again sometime in the future. <laughs> but, uh, you know, th- this seems like a typical Braves team, and I feel that, that the, 11th, uh, the, the 10th man of Atlanta, when that game goes to Truist Park on the north side of town, is going to be so ecstatic, and it's going to be like playing a college football game in Tuscaloosa if you're the Phillies. I think that's a dangerous thing if you're a Philly fan. Uh, the the only thing, and, and I'm sorry for all my Atlanta homies out there that might be listening, uh, the Atlanta Braves fan uh, is not the best fan. And, and that stadium is on the north side. It's not in Atlanta any longer. 
Um, and they've kind of they've done very similar to what you know the Cowboys have done and the Rangers have done. They they're not in the city limits of the actual city that they play in, um, and so I, it might yes they're going to get their tomahawk chop. They're going to do what they're going to do, uh, but when they start leaking some oil, it'll be interesting to see how the fans react. Now, yes, to your point, it does feel like it six straight. But that's what I love about. I'm going to go a little off topic, and we'll get in the Cowboys. But that's what I love about this base. That's why I love about Major League Baseball is they're changing. This is my sport. I love baseball, and what they've done now with the wild card, and the you know the best two out of three, the three out of five, and then the four out of seven, and then the World Series. I think is great for the game. It's growing the game, and it's going to grow that sport. And so, yes, I think that Atlanta, they're going to go crazy, but it's when they start leaking oil, we'll see what happens with the fan base. You did bring up the Cowboys, and that's a good segue real quick because I'm gonna, I'm really only going to ask one question about this because there's really only one question that was on my mind the whole time, and we're just not going to have the time to talk about it. Looking at this past game against the Rams for the Cowboys and knowing that the Eagles are ahead, we are pretty darn comfortable in our defense, I would say. I think that everything has been better on the defensive side of the ball. The special teams has really stuck out in the past few weeks, especially, you know, I I definitely have more trust in Maher than I ever did Greg Zerline, and I'm almost glad he's back. But the offense, and we don't know the, the – we don't know if Dak's going to be back this week or not. And, you know, they've been saying for three weeks now that he's going to be back, but he hasn't been back. And I, I feel that this week is going to be the same thing. They're going to say on Wednesday, oh, he might be back, and they're going to say Friday, no, he's not going to be back. The way that Cooper Rush, and you and I have talked about this off air and in person, the way that Cooper Rush reads defenses and works through his progression, unlike Dak does, and you know what, I'm just going to speak my mind. Dak does not work through his progressions well at all. I'm not even going to apologize for having this opinion. Dak does not work through his progressions. Cooper Rush has, and that's why he's been completing more key passes. I wouldn't. I don't think he's thrown for more yards, but he's definitely completed those passes when he has to. Um, we've been relying on the run game a lot, and I feel that, and we saw this against the Rams the other day, that Tony Pollard, I feel, runs with way more purpose than Zeke does, and he ran, what, what was that, 52, 57, 53, 50, so. yeah, 57 yep. yards? I mean, and you <clears throat> saw it in that run. He refused to go down. He got touched by, I think, six different defenders, and just, I mean, he runs like he's looking for pay dirt every single time, much like a Tony Dorsett or an Emmett Smith or uh um, who's someone, or a Barry Sanders, or a, dare I say his name, an O.J. Simpson. You know, like he, he's looking for pay dirt every time he touches the ball. Mm-hmm. And so I'm not thinking there's a controversy in the backfield because I know how Jerry Jones thinks, and I think we all know how Jerry Jones thinks nowadays. But I am almost content with a backfield of Cooper Rush and Tony Pollard than I am with Dak Prescott and Ezekiel Elliott. Wow. And that's a stretch but I definitely feel, if that's not right, that they're both definitely overpaid because we're getting more from the backups that are paid significantly less than we were for the starters who almost play like they're complacent. Sure. Well, I don't want to get into the pay side of things. Um, I, I let, Let's start with the running back position, right? Um, I think Ezekiel Elliott is still a really good running back. He has vision. So does Pollard. Um, I think it's the play calling that they have for those, right, for, for Pollard and Zeke. I think Zeke is just – he still has the vision, but he's your downhill runner. He's going to go and he's going to get the tough yards when he needs to get them. Pollard is going to be the one that's going to give you the big plays. Um, 
I think Pollard had, what, eight touches to Zeke's 22 or something along those lines. So, uh, you know, ball distribution is going to be a problem. I, I do understand that. But, man, at the end of the day, it's all about winning. And I don't care how you do it. And And I will tell you right now, I like Pollard. He cannot protect the quarterback. He missed a clear blitzing cornerback yesterday that just took Cooper Rush's head off. Fumbled the football. Thank God we got it back. Um, Pollard has got to get better in pass protection, and I think that's where they have their issues in the backfield. Um, okay, Pollard can can be a weapon to run and be a threat to, to, to take it long, but if you're going to drop back and you're using him as a decoy in the backfield, you, you might as well – I mean, it's a three-step step drop and get it out. Um, let's talk about the progression real quick. I know we talked about that off-air. And I do agree with you. I don't think that that Dak is really good at reading his progressions. But I will say that when he does get to his third progression, the problem is he, his footwork is still not good. He doesn't set his feet. Um, and, and we can talk about Cooper Rush's you – know, he doesn't. He hasn't thrown an interception. Now, he's thrown some, and they've gotten called back for penalties or something along those lines. But he does hold on to the ball. He makes I think he's making smart decisions when he throws the ball. And I'm not sure that Dak is is there. And I, I think that, that Dak is seeing ghosts, to be quite honest with you. And I think that in order for the Cowboys offense to be good under Dak, Dak has to be comfortable to feel like he can pull that ball down and run when he needs to. We don't have that with Cooper Rush right now. Dak has to be able to be comfortable to run the ball, and I don't think he's there. And I'm not sure that he's – I don't know that he's going to be able to just throw the ball away where Cooper Rush does. And don't kill the team. Our defense, I'll say it, we're on podcasts. They're badass. They're, that's the best defense I've seen in the Cowboy team in a long, long time. Um, I think there was a holding call uh, yesterday on – I don't think it was Diggs. I forget who it was. But the – our defensive front was in the backfield so quickly that the hold happened after the sack. So, you know, it wasn't like we're just so good up front. Um, so I think that we need – when your defense can go out there and tell your offense, hey, man, I just need 20, and that's where we are right now, and and that's all we need. And uh, not there's no quarterback controversy. There's nothing like that. But Dak needs to be smart with the ball when he comes back. What I will say is I don't. I hope he doesn't play against the Eagles. I hope that we go ahead and play rush. Let's not let's not rush. You know Dak back. No pun intended. Um, and let's see how we we do against the Eagles. It's it's we got him at the end of the year. We're going to be in the in in the division race. And I think that's we just need to sit him, make sure he's good before he comes back. I hate to not give you the last word, but we're up against it. And I just want to say one thing. I would rather actually, in my opinion, have a pocket passer like Cooper Rush, even with the NFL's offensive schemes changing with the the mobile quarterback. I'd rather have that classic one where Rush can sit back in the pocket and that open up, and then you run the dual backfield with Zeke or Pollard. He is the chappie of my show, Michael Ruth, my father, and he has joined me for almost 45 minutes now, which is way longer than I intended this first segment to go. When I come back, I'm going to tribute a dear friend. And Dad actually requested that I did this on the show that he was on. So uh, we'll uh, we'll spend some time talking about that. But first, here's a message from our friends at Woody Woods Plumbing.
Hey guys, this is Nolan Ruth, and I'd like to talk to you about plumbing. There are three things we can't escape in life, death, taxes, and plumbing issues. Whether you're a homeowner or a renter, everyone should know a good plumber. And anytime I have issues, I call Woody Woods. Since 1954, Woody Woods Plumbing Company has provided fast, reliable, and guaranteed plumbing service to the greater Fort Worth area. Their highly trained technicians can cover your residential and commercial needs from plumbing repairs and installations to drain cleaning, irrigation, and new water heaters. I have personally seen their work and I can tell you no matter which technician you get, Woody Woods is the way to go. They're easy to deal with and they're upfront and honest about everything that needs to be done with your plumbing. So call them today at 817-923-5248. Again, that's 817-923-5248. Guys, don't wait. Call Woody Woods today for all your plumbing concerns. Welcome back to Nolan's Corner, your home for the ramblings of another loudmouth sports <laughs> guy, fan, whatever you want to call me. Um, yeah, I, I usually don't play songs coming back from breaks anymore. Um, I decided to do it now, and that is because this segment, I'm going to spend some time doing something I didn't get a chance to a few months ago. Um... Today is October 10th, 2022. It's a Monday. Um, as I said at the top of the show, call it Columbus Day, call it Indigenous Peoples Day. I'm equal opportunity. Whatever you want to call it, you call it that. Um, and usually on this particular day, there is a golf tournament hosted just north of my hometown of Alito, Texas, and a small town of Willow Park. It has a golf course called Squaw Creek. And for the past couple of years... The Pro Football Hall of Famer Rayfield Wright has hosted his golf tournament that goes to the local food bank out there in East Parker County and uh, draws a bunch of money, draws a lot of locals especially that go golfing. It draws a lot of other Hall of Famers that make appearances and they golf as well. Um, and it's a great deal. I mean, every single proceed goes to charity. Uh, it, it's, it's a great time. Usually the weather is great. Uh, today got a little cloudy, got a little windy towards the end of the day, but um, you know, like it, it's just the perfect weekend. And you know, I I didn't think over a year ago. And Dad, feel free to chime in at any point here. Um, I didn't think that over a, that a year ago I would even be able to say that I was able to rub elbows with this man. And I got to on more than one occasion. He is, and I had I, I interviewed a few guests while I was out there in Willow Park today. And there's one in particular, and it'll be the first one I play, that, that memorialized him the, even better than I could. I, just how great of a man that Rayfield Wright was. He passed away a few months ago. And um, I can tell you that it was difficult for all of us who knew him. Um, even for me, who only met him three times. Uh, and he was a man that... Just if you had met him and talked to him for 10 minutes, you would already known everything you needed to know about that man and that he was a great man. And um, 
as most of my listeners know, I'm a very, very devout Christian. I'm a very devout believer, and I put my trust in in Jesus Christ and Jesus Christ alone. And Rayfield was a lot the same way. And I, I got to talk to him about uh, some deep topics uh, in in the few times I got to see him. And he uh, he told me he was praying for me and his wife Daya is a, is a lovely lady. Um, lo- love love that family to death. And he, and his passing was definitely something that hit me hard just in the fact that um, a year ago today I was a 22 year old reporter just trying to make it and had no business being in that clubhouse with all those pro football hall of famers was lost didn't know who to talk to didn't even know what to say to anybody and Rayfield went out of his way not only to introduce me to everybody in that clubhouse but he let me follow in the media cart his cart throughout the day and I didn't even ask him a single question and he just talked and he told me all these stories. He talked to me about playing in Texas Stadium. He talked to me about who Tom Landry was. He talked to me about, uh, you know, playing uh, uh, amongst uh, uh, Randy White, who was a dear friend of him, and uh, Tony Dorsett, and Drew Pearson, and, um, you know, uh, you know Charles Haley even showed up, and, and they had a great, uh, even though uh, Rayfield was retired, Charles and Rayfield had a great relationship. And uh, Mean Joe Green, who was, you know, the – Kind of the counterpoint in Super Bowl, uh, what was that, 10, I think? All, all of them. Yeah. <laughs> uh, you know, just, had, just they all have nothing but love and support uh, for Rayfield. And um, his passing really hit me hard. So today was the first ever Rayfield Wright Memorial Golf Tournament. And I drove down from my current home in Aubrey to go be a part of that and mingle with uh, those people that I did. And, um, the ticket, 96-7 and 13-10 here in uh, DFW. Uh, Norman Donovan, uh, the in, the uh, Normandy invasion uh, from 10 to noon. There you go, free advertising for the ticket there. Uh, they were out there. Uh, they did their show from Willow Park today, and I got to talk to both of them a little bit today. Uh, got to talk to the Hall of Famers that I love so much. And I'm not, I'm not going to go into the stories on this show. I could, and I could make it about myself. But the bottom line is today was about Rayfield. And with that said, I will share one story about Rayfield that I have in particular. And I'm going to try to do this without my dad crying into the mic. Um, last year, it was at the end of the day. And last year, it happened on uh, October 11th instead of October 10th. And October 11th is my dad's dad's birthday, my granddad, Bill. And I knew that I was going to go to this golf tournament. And I felt bad because first thing in the morning, whether it's a grandparent, a parent, a cousin, a brother, a sister, anybody, I like to let them know first thing in the morning when I wake up, happy birthday. I love you. I'm thinking about you. And I hope if, you know, I hope to see you sometime today. I will try to make an effort. But if I don't, just know that I love you and I'm with you in spirit. So I felt bad because I was so excited Number one, because OU erased a 21-7 deficit two days before at the Cotton Bowl and won OU Texas literally with three seconds left. This year wasn't the same, obviously, but we won't talk about that. Um, I was excited for that, but also I was looking forward to meeting. Like I was, I went in knowing for the first time in my life I'm going to rub elbows with these Pro Football Hall of Famers. And I was so starstruck, and I collected, thankfully I collected myself after 20 minutes, but I was so starstruck that I totally forgot to call my granddad Bill and wish him a happy birthday. And so the end of the day comes around, the tournament's done, everyone's done golfing, and we're gathered around the tent for dinner. And I 
saw Rayfield sitting in his cart with his wife die, and I said to myself, I've got one chance to do this. I already know the man Rayfield is. I know he's going to do it. The only thing stopping me is my fear of <laughs> this man who is cowboy legend. And I went up to Rayfield and I just said, hey, Rayfield, it, it is my granddad Bill's birthday. And it would mean a lot to me, and I know it would mean a lot to him, if you could just take a couple minutes real quick on video and just wish him a happy birthday. I don't have that video queued up, It was a, but it was a great video. It, was, it's, it would make for great audio. Um, and he just took the time. He just took 90 seconds to just wish my granddad a happy birthday. And he, he knew me, obviously, just as the young kid trying to make it. And he, he, he took the time to do that. And he talked on that video as if my granddad Bill were his brother and wished him the best and everything. And so that, that's what made, I remember that video when Rayfield passed and when Rayfield passed, that's what made his passing even harder for me was just knowing that even me who wasn't on those seventies Cowboys teams, didn't win any Super Bowls, was still 20 years from being born from those Cowboys seventies Super Bowls. Uh, he recognized a young kid who loves his family, loves the Lord, and loves what he does, and just wanted to take a personal minute. And he did it. He did that. Uh, I'm not gonna. I'm not gonna be humble here. He did it for me. You know, he knew me. He did it for me because he knew that I was. Uh, uh, you know, just doing it out of the goodness of my heart and out of the love of my heart. And his passing was really, really hard for me. And he was a great man. Uh, loved everybody he ever met, and his his influence on me as the guy who's sitting behind this mic right now will never ever ever be forgotten, and and I will always remember him for the kindness he showed me in that day. I can tell you want to say something. So there's a, just a couple of things. Number one, um, you know that just goes to show how much our family loves the Cowboys. Uh, so for those of you who don't know. Um, my my mother and her family um they were missionaries in africa and we would videotape cowboy games and mail them to africa so my family could watch the cowboy games and it would be two weeks behind whatever the case is but i also have a a rayfield story um he was a part he was a man of the community and i would go up to the corner store and you know, grab some drinks or whatever. And I saw Rayfield probably four or five times at the corner store. And every time he was just so nice. Um, you could just go up to him and say, Hey, Mr. Wright, it's nice to see you. And he would always say, call me Rayfield. Um, he, he, he didn't like, he didn't like that, uh, that Mr. Wright stuff. Um, but, uh, he was a man of the community for sure. He was a man of, of, of Parker County, um, and, and a great cowboy. Right. And, uh, yeah, his passing, you know, it's, there's, it's life and, and it, with every life there's death. And we knew he was, it, we knew he was suffering last year. Anyway, we knew it was uh, a rough year for him. Uh, but, uh, yeah, I know it was rough for you too. And I know how much he meant to you. Uh, I remember you went, when you went to his funeral, I was just shocked that you even got an invitation to go to his funeral. It's like, so proud of my son who, didn't even know the seventies Cowboys and here I am and I don't get a chance to go. Uh, so good for you and very proud of you. Uh, and I know he helped you and I know that, uh, this golf tournament means a lot to you. And so I'm glad that uh, you had the day you had. 
So I was able to talk to uh, five people, and we'll spend the next uh, few minutes talking about this and listening to this audio real quick and just breaking down, obviously, what he meant to uh, everybody else. And this first one, uh, actually, before I start any of them, just know that I had no professional equipment today. Everything was done over my iPhone. So there's definitely background noise. And on the one where I interview uh, Maury Buford, yes, there's a mariachi band playing in the background. That was part of the perks of the uh, golf tournament. It was on the 10th tee. There was, would be a mariachi band playing uh, whenever you uh, were, were teeing off there on uh, hole number 10. So uh, there's going to be some background noise. They're, you're going to hear some people talking, but uh, you'll be you'll be able to discern who's talking and what they're saying uh, from the get-go. And so this first one is the one that really really touched me to, to the deepest reaches of my soul um, was from Norm Hitzkiss, who I got to talk to right after he got off the air for the ticket. I mean, literally four minutes after he put down his headset, uh, I got to go up and talk to him. And um, I won't go into my story about that. I'd rather uh, you just hear from Norm about what Rayfield meant to him. Just um, Also, just give some background on Norm. He's a uh, Texas Radio Hall of Famer, yes, for those of you who don't know. Um, he used to do Ranger games. Uh, he was actually on college game day back in the day. Um, he worked for ESPN and, and uh, called baseball games there. He is a, uh, a Texas icon and a Texas radio legend. So the fact that Nolan got a chance to spend time with him is amazing. And if anybody, former Ranger, former Cowboy, former Star, former Mav, knows anybody in radio in DFW, it's Norm. He was the first one to interview Nolan Ryan after 5,000, right? That's, which, which you can see on Facing Nolan. You can't right. see his face, but you can hear his voice. That's right. And you can hear his voice now on uh, Nolan's Corner. Here is the quote I got from Norm Hetzkiss earlier today at the Rayfield Wright Memorial Golf Tournament. Uh, and I was always amazed. <laughs> Second thing. I was always amazed. That one. And how Do not put that key when you heard okay. his story about his life and how difficult his childhood potentially so was. Right. Yeah. Thank you. That he came really through it with so much humor and such a great attitude in life. It was just amazing to me because sometimes people come through a childhood like that and there's bitterness. Never know my father, really poor, and all those things. And I, I, I was just amazed at the attitude Rayfield had. And I, I, I fully believe it was because Rayfield knew the Lord. I fully believe that. Uh, he, in the later years of his life, he had to deal with some real health hardships. Never changed him. You bet. Thank you for having Never, us. ever changed him. Last time I saw him was in the Hickory Street Lounge in Denton. And he was there with his wife died. And Walt Garrison was there, who, by the way, was the same person also. Walt was this big, happy-go-lucky human being. And... <coughs> I can't tell you how much I enjoyed that time and times we had there, because that was the place to meet. Well, I'd like to have a drink or two at the Hickory Street. And then he knew Rayfield, and then because we knew both of them, we joined and 
It was great. We'd sit there, have a glass of wine, and order a pizza from across the street. <laughs> and then they delivered it into the lounge because <laughs> Kenny didn't have food. And, but I, I loved Rayfield. That's why we're here today. When, when Di asked about this, as you all know, a radio station is commercial. Radio station's got to make money. This one, the radio station, didn't charge a penny. Came out here, set up the remote, and that, these are good memories. Memories of Rayfield are good memories. Always good memories. And I'll circle back to where I started. I still remember that giant laugh that he had. It came all the way up that giant body. <laughs> what a good guy. What a good guy. Good man. Very good. You know, that's great audio. Um, Norm is a legend. And, uh, <laughs> you know, hearing stories about Walt Garrison, and I know this is a, really more about Rayfield, but one of the greatest stories that, I ha- that I've heard about Walt Garrison, just a true Texan, right? And I know I'm an Okie, but it is what it is. Um, he, uh, <clears throat> there was a NFL films about Walt Garrison running through the line against the Chicago Bears and, Dick Butkus tackled them or whatever, and he said, the next time you come through my hole, I'm going to bite your head off. And Walt Garrison <laughs> looked him in the eye and said, well, that'll be the most brains you've ever had in your, in your head. That's just, you know, that was the old Dallas Cowboys. And the fact that you get to hang out with those guys and have those stories and, uh, you know, again, just meeting Norm and, and honoring – Rayfield, you know, and the people you, I know that you already know Drew Pearson. I know you know Tony Dorsett, and I'm sure you're going to play some of those or whatever. But the fact that my childhood is now <laughs> in your adulthood is just, it's, it, I can't tell you what it means. Um, and yes, at the end of the day, it was all about the fact that he knew the Lord. And, and you know, it's going to be fun one day when we can all celebrate and, you can see Rayfield again and he'll be proud of you as well as I'm proud of you and as well as our heavenly father is as well. So I'm very proud of you and the work you do. So I should say that he ended that, uh, uh, that interview and I took it off recording, but he ended that interview by saying, by the way, tech just hit the ugliest. Did he say that? Really? No. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> we got to, for you, gotta, for you P1, we have to let our, let, yeah. yeah, the listeners need some context. You'll, you'll, <laughs> no, they'll, they'll believe it. And you know what? I'll deal with questions. I will deal with that because we got to keep moving. By the on. way, tech just hit the um, ugliest. Uh, so Norm, Norm, I will, I will spend a couple minutes talking about Norm real quick because, well, one to me is, he brought the Hickory Street Lounge, which we have passed. Have we gone to that? I don't think we've gone don't to that. We've, been there. But we've passed it right there in the square yep. in Denton. And I was able to visualize in my head, like, Norm's been to the Hickory Street Lounge, you know? <laughs> and, they, and not just that, but he mentions Walt Garrison, a name I haven't heard in a long time. That, it, it, like, it, it was just so great. And just talking about, uh, obviously, he knows Die. And the really the coolest part of that is the fact that. Norm made it work to where they didn't charge a dime to come work remote at that thing. 
because obviously well, Norm, Norm knew. Norm carries a big stick. So well, he does, well, and not just his walker. Yeah, but uh, I'm sorry, is that a taste? I'm sorry, um, but Norm, yeah, Norm obviously carries some weight in the media, and you know, who at the ticket's going to tell him no when he says you're going to do this for free, right? But the fact that Norm knew Rayfield and had that story and just had the connection, not just with Rayfield but with Die as well, that Norm went like stuck his neck out and said, "No, we're going to do this for free." And he brought Donnie with him. And uh, as I'm sure that if any P1 was listening today and you listen to crosstalk between uh, Norm and the Hang Zone, Donovan ditched him and went straight to the links and started playing golf um, just for background. Just so y'all know, if you heard right at that time, I was right there in the lobby and listening to Crosstalk, watching Norm, and then right before they came back from break, and you can hear the ticker on the on the speaker that they had in the hallway, Norm told Donnie, you go, I got this. So, of course, Norm's playing it off on the air. <laughs> sure. And, of sure. course, I enjoyed that. And, sure. uh, you know, just, just getting able to watch that, being a P1 as long as I have been, and and you as long I mean, since day one when Skip Bayless finally took, you know, the the airways and the ticket became what it was. Yes. And just, just going through every single bit of change that's gone through, through um, Greg, um, through Mike Reiner, um, obviously the, the breakup of bad radio after 20 years and now Bob being on the hard line. Now the hang zone is a thing. And, you know, the, the one constant in all that has been Norm Hitzkiss and, uh, the fact that I and I will go ahead and tell the story. And the musers, the musers, have the been musers there. as well. Yes, um, but uh, you know, Norm, I think it, Norm, I almost feel is the face of the ticket more than the musers. Now everybody knows the musers, and uh, you know when and if the day comes that Norm ends up stepping down, and it probably will fairly soon, I would imagine. You know, the musers will probably be the face of the ticket at that point, I would imagine. You know, because everybody knows the musers, uh, but Norm Hitch, everybody knows Norm Hiskis. You know, Dad, you and I as P1s know people that go, I love listening to Musers. I love listening to Hardline. I can't listen to Norm. You know, we, we know those P1s. I can't listen to Norm. We're the antithesis, the antithesis of that. That's right. And I know that I am because I have people that, you know, I'm 23. I know that people that I know listen to the ticket and they go, I can't listen to Norm. You know, he's, you know, he's. What does he know? And I go, literally everything. He has eight times more experience in this well, than we I, do, right? Like, I, he's a genius when it comes to a lot of this. I will tell you that, um, and this has been off air. I know that I've, my grandfather, God-fearing, would listen to KCBI and would listen to preaching all day long. But there were two people he would stop down to listen to, and that would be Paul Harvey and Norm Hitzkiss. And he would always listen to Paul Harvey News, and he would always listen to Norm Hitzkiss Sports. And so I grew up with that. And, you know, Norm, sometimes it's hard to listen to Norm, I'm not going to lie. <laughs> but but I think, you know, Donovan has brought a really good aspect to the show, and I love Donovan so much. I, I, Donovan has become my probably my fourth favorite personality on the ticket because I love the Musers. I have to listen to the Musers at 5.30 in the morning, but... Uh, Norm and the fact that you got to listen to, to listen to him and to meet him, I mean, Radio Hall of Famer. I mean, he's and and he gave you good advice today, and uh, that tells you how much he appreciates the media and how much he appreciates the youth coming up, uh, wanting to uh, expand 
the sports talk in the sports media in Dallas. And so I think that was a really big thing for you, and I'm really glad you got to to do that with him today. So this story I will tell real quick before I go into Tony Dorsett. Um, So Norm got finished, and that's when – uh, my old editor from the community was Rick Mock. He was the one that asked the question. He was the one that asked Norm to talk about his memories of Rayfield. And Norm looked at me when I opened up my recording on my phone and realized pretty quickly what I was doing. And he knew that I was, and he saw my badge obviously as well. And he knew that I was just as accredited as Rick. And um, he looked us both in the eye. You know, he'd go back and forth and he'd, he'd go back from looking to Rick, looking at me, looking down real quick and just trying to remember look up at Rick again, look up at me again, and then look back down, right? Like, Norm is a very good public speaker, and and I almost feel that he, you know, he, his talents are almost wasted on radio because he really does try to make things personal. And I think you heard it there in that story and that he gave about Rayfield. But not only that, I got to see it firsthand because he got up on his walker, which, uh, you know, I hear Norm on the radio, and I don't picture him with a, with a walker, of course, but he's – you know, well into his 70s now. He's definitely down to uh, where he's probably going to step away from the ticket here in a couple of years. And he got up on his walker, but he kept talking the whole time. You know, he just he enjoyed the company. He just enjoyed telling us about his story. I'm pretty and, sure that Norm's going to die behind the mic. I'm not going to lie. <laughs> <laughs> but, oh, yes, well. he, but he has that dead foot, right? He has that foot no, that he has no, no uh, feeling. And well, no but touch, he loves so. what he does, and that yep. goes into the story that he told me. So I, I'm going to... I'm, I'm first say this so my old editor rick mock uh told shook his hand and just said hey by the way i think i met you 20 years ago at lone star park and norm looked at me and said oh i'm never there <laughs> <laughs> which i know to be a lie because i know that's where yeah, he's, yeah. I, I know how much norm when, loves his horses when mare bear kicks him out that's where he goes to spend <laughs> right. the night yeah exactly <clears throat> but we're we're finishing up and Norm got a golf cart to drive him out to his car, but he also wanted to drive the links real quick, say goodbye to all the Hall of Famers. So the cart was pulled around, and he was walking out, and he was kind of taking one step every 45 seconds because he knew he had to go, but at the same time he wanted to keep talking to us. And uh, the club pro of uh, Squaw Creek there in Willow Park asked for a picture, and he took a picture, and I immediately just handed my phone to uh, Travis, the producer, and I said, hey, I'd like to get one as well. So I took a picture with Norm. And while I'm taking the picture, I say, Norm, I've been listening to you for a long time. And he holds up his hand to keep Travis from taking the picture real quick. And he looks at me and he goes, there's no way you've been listening to me for a long time. <laughs> and I said, Norm, I'm 23. I've been listening to you pretty much all those 23 years. Uh, at least. So I consider it a long time. My whole life I've been listening to you. It might not be long for you. But I've been listening to you for a long time. He smiled. We took a picture, and it's a uh, it's on my Twitter. Uh, I give it out every show at Real Nolan Ruth. Y'all go look at it. Um, and I just took a minute, and I just said, Norm. First of all, I want to thank you, uh, not just for the years of sports wisdom and just the you know other side of things that I would typically not you know not agree with you on, but you would say on the air your thoughts, and it always gave me the knowledge to okay, look at this from the other side. And it was really when I became comfortable with that and looking at things from two sides that I became comfortable as a podcaster and knowing not just what my point was, but knowing what was probably going to be thrown at me from the antithesis. And I credit that to Norm. 
And I looked at him and I also, and I said, Norm, you're also a big reason why I got into this. And Norm looked at me and got almost in his radio voice. And I'm not going to do my Norm impression now, but I could, I'm not going to though. And he looked at me and said, listen, you're not going to make a lot of money earlier in your life, which I was prepared to hear. And I'm definitely prepared for my life. But I mean, and Norm has just so y'all know the brightest blue eyes and I could feel him looking into my sports soul and he said, I can see your passion for this gig and I can tell you love what you do. And I By know, the way, and, and, no. and I, yeah, yeah, thanks. Uh, Paul in, uh, no. Um, and he said, uh, but he, then he said, you know, I know a lot of people in my life that don't love what they do. And you clearly love what you do. Otherwise, you would not have come up to me. You wouldn't be here today. You wouldn't have talked to Donovan like you did. Keep at it. Keep at it. And I've heard that from every angle. I've heard it from you, Dad. I've heard it from friends. I've heard it from uh, high school football coaches I've talked to that love the coverage, obviously. There's something about when Norma Hitzkiss is looking you deep in the eye and telling you to stick with it that you just almost come to attention and want to salute him, right? <laughs> yes, right. sir, right? That's right. Yep. And so that, that meant a lot to me. And so I, I doubt this episode will ever find the ears of Norm Hiskis. But if it does, Norm... Thank you so much. I mean, I can't even express what you've done for me. And and just listening to you every 10 to noon, Monday through Friday, has really gotten me and really helped me to grow my sports mind and get to where I I want to be. And I'm not quite there yet, but I, I, you know, just you looking me in the eye and telling me to stick at it was all I needed to know. I'm going to end up somewhere. And I really appreciate that. So just another quick side note on Norm, because we love Norm. And again, Anybody who does not know Norm, you just you have to listen to him. So uh, before Nolan was born, I played in a semi-pro baseball league, and everybody in our dugout had a fake Norm. <laughs> and that's what we would do in the dugout when someone came up to bat. Well, here's Mike Ruth up to <laughs> bat. He's batting three fifty. <laughs> now, I nev- now I never bat. I never batted three fifty. Now, but yes. So if you don't, if you can't do a fake norm, then you you, you got to work on it. That's he he is batting <laughs> two eighty this year, yes. and I almost feel like when he approaches the plate, he takes too long of a look at the pitcher, if, and it shows me that he's not entirely confident going into that at bat, and I feel that that's why he grounds out most of the time. His, uh, his Oakland A's jokes are the best, though. If you want a foul ball, go to the Oakland A's game. You're going to get it 100% of the time. Norm, if this ever finds your ears, this is all endearing. We love you so much. Uh, the next one I got is uh, the great 33, Tony Dorsett, TD. Uh, Heisman Trophy winner. Uh, won the Super, Literally won a national championship with Pitt in the Superdome the year before he was drafted by the Cowboys and went and won Super Bowl twelve in the Superdome. Um, if you don't know a lot about Tony Dorsett, he's been battling a lot lately, uh, personal-wise and health-wise. And so that's why I'm going to go ahead and play this one before I play Drew Pearson. I was going to play Pearson first. And the Tony one is longer also. That's why I'm going to play this one first. But you'll pick up on what he's saying. You, you know exactly what he means. You can obviously understand him. But I, I do want to say this. Tony is an actor more than anyone realizes 
because when he was talking to me with a microphone in his face, he was throwing his arm around me. He was like giving me the elbow that like, you know, when he was talking about Rayfield, he's like, man, he had a forearm that no, I mean, he was physically acting out the motions of everything he was saying. And I thought that was so awesome. And I actually paused for a minute. Like I missed half the interview because I'm like, Tony Dorsted is not, does not have his arm around me at the moment. But uh, here, once again, I'm jealous because <laughs> you are living out my childhood. So yes, I'm I'm happy for you. Here is Tony Dorsett and his uh, favorite memory of of Rayfield Wright and what it means to him to be a part of this tournament. So first of all, I just want to ask, you know, what uh, just any particular good memories you have of Rayfield now that he's uh, no longer with us, and uh, just what it means to be coming back to this tournament again, just to honor his memory and what he believes so oh, much. Oh man, you you don't know, big big cat. The cat meant a lot to me. You know, when I came into the league, I'll never forget. Big Cat came up to me, man, after one practice, and he he, he, he put those big old hands, he put his arm around me, and put those big hands on me. He said, he said, Rook, he said, you know what? He said, it was after the game, not a practice. He, he said, you know what? You're going to be all right. It was after we played the Redskins. It was early in the season. And the Redskins was giving me a hard time on the field. They were doing this and doing that, pushing me, trying to get me irritated and this, that, and the other. And I wasn't backing down about anything. And Big Cat said, he said, Rook, if any of these, if any one of these guys mess with you, you, if you need some help, you make, you call me. He said, I got your back. And from that point on, from the years that we played together, Big Cat always said. I said, Cat, Big Cat, when he got had the surgeries to the knees, I said, Big Cat, the roles have reversed a little bit now. Not as much like it was when I was a rookie. I said, but if you need some help, I got you. I'm watching because when I would be out for a lot, uh, uh, be held in for, for, for pass plays, third down, I would always be checking on Big Cat to see if he got if he got. I remember one time I went up and I, I cut a guy. But because Big Cat was that he would he had a, a method that he would do he would he would, he would hey, put you with his arms like this and then he would collapse you but when he collapsed he had a forearm coming that was uh, one of the most devastating forearms you ever see and I I happened to I happened to see him collapsing one day and before and I cut the dude and he was like just when he came up to me said bro I'll let you know when I need you he said, don't worry about me he said. I was giving it, just put 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 it on him right now, yeah. and, then, and then I started watching the film, watching his films. I said, now I understand what he was doing, what he was saying, because mm -hmm. I didn't know. I was like, but but he had one of the most one of the most devastating forms ever in the NFL, mm -hmm. man. <laughs> and so he just said, he said, I got your back. He said. And we were running, we were running plays. We were down in D.C. or Philadelphia, and they were giving me a hard time as a rookie, especially. He would say, "Look, he said, Rook, don't worry about them. Don't worry about what they say." He said, "Follow me." He said, "I got you." And guess what I did? I followed him, and he had me. <laughs> he was, he was, he was, he was, he was the beast on offensive line. So first of all, I have to. Uh, the, the best part Call about that is Drew that Pearson. Drew the Pearson, hut, hut, hut in the background. Uh, love it. I, if anything that's great, just the, wait till his interview. The, the true 88 there. You know, listen, you know, I, 
you know my history with the Cowboys, right? You know, my, my great-grandmother was in the uh, nursing home, and she was complaining about her leg, and I started limping around, and I said – I started limping around as well, and she asked me what happened, and I said, well, uh, Roger Stahlback stepped on my leg. <laughs> <laughs> so, in my head, I obviously thought that, and so, you know, the the – Tony Dorsett, the Drew Pearsons, the Butch Johnsons. You, you talked about the you know Super Bowl twelve. He won that Super Bowl. Butch Johnson, what a great catch that was that year. You just the fact that you get to hang out with these guys is amazing. Um, and TD, man, I love him, and I can tell he's he's got some things going on, and and that's just the CTE thing, I think, right? And 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 even he even joked about how the forearm that. Rayfield had right back in the day the defensive lineman you know Deacon Jones was known for that that was the that was the punch right you come off the line you punch and Rayfield had which, that which too. was outlawed and, in 78 by yep, the way we should mention exactly so um you know the fact you get to hang out with these guys and they have those stories but then to hear them talk like TD still has it and you know I it's I'm glad that Rayfield was there for him and I'm glad he was there for Rayfield at the end. And, and, and I just, I just love that story. You know, I mean, it, it, again, I mean, it, if the norm interview didn't do it for you, I mean, just the way he treated the rookie, you right. know, who that's right. If you've seen the NFL films, America's game about the 77 Cowboys, you know, Landry thought of him kind of as a prima donna. Correct. And this is the same team that had Thomas Hollywood Henderson, that's by right. the way, who was the prima donna <laughs> and, 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 you know, they thought, Tony Dorsett was the young buck who was the prima donna Heisman Trophy winner coming out of Pitt and everything. And Big Cat, you know, as, as Rayfield was uh, so affectionately known, just went to Tony Dorsett and just said, you're going to be fine. You know, just follow me. Um, but obviously I just love that Tony also had that uh, memory of uh, the game where he cuts the linebacker there. And right. Rayfield goes up and says, hey – I'll let you know what I need. <laughs> yeah. I mean, I think that's just, just so great. And side just, note, who, who who was the second big cat for the Cowboys? Do you know? Leon Lett. Leon. Uh, Leon. Le- oh, Leon. Oh, Leon. <laughs> it's uh, all good. So, Go I sh- so I should yep. mention, because you bring that up, there were there were a couple people that couldn't make it to the uh, the tournament this year. Um, number one is Pat Green, actually, who they wanted to get as a musical guest. He's going through a rough time at the moment. He was supposed to be musical guest. He couldn't make it. That's why I played a Wave on Wave. Uh, those who knew Rayfield knew that he loved that song. That was his favorite song. That song meant a lot to him. Uh, Randy White was not able to make it this year. Uh, the Manster, who he and Rayfield shared a special bond. Uh, Hollywood himself actually was not able to make it this year. He was at the funeral a few months ago, but he was not able to make it this year. And, uh, and Charlie Waters, who I heard was on the invitee list. Uh, Cliff Harris was there today. I did not get to talk to Cliff Harris at all. Uh, but I have heard that uh, Charlie Waters is unfortunately going through some stuff as well. And so I want to go ahead and just give a nod to those who Rayfield loved and was close to and were on the invitee list and weren't able to make it. We still, you know, we love y'all, obviously, and, and, and we understand the circumstances y'all are going through um, and that y'all weren't able to make it. But Rayfield loved y'all. We all love y'all. Um, and and our and our hearts are definitely with those who couldn't who couldn't make it this year. Roger obviously, but Roger's a businessman and busy all the time. Um, he didn't make it last year either, you know. But that's just because, uh, you know, a lot like we said, he was about, too busy we, stepping on well, my leg. Well, like, well, 
But, you know, we, everyone knows Roger, and much like the business, you know, like Norm Hitzkiss is that we just talked about, Roger will probably work himself into the ground, you know, right. just right. Uh, with his real estate and, and what he does. And so, obviously, we know Roger's busy and, uh, you know, but, uh, and, we, and we know he, he, his well wishes were there and he wished he could have been there. Um, but, yeah, I just, you know, the fact that, that, that TD and was there and, you know, he, he mentioned to me that he marked it on his calendar that he knew he, he was going to be here. Uh, he wanted to be there. He knew what it meant to not just the community and, uh, you know, uh, the food bank that all the proceeds were going to. But obviously, now that it's the Memorial Golf Tournament, he just want, he wanted to he sure. wanted to be there on, on behalf of his friend, sure. on, the, on the man that he loved and uh, just held so near and dear to his heart. And that actually leads me into this one with Drew Pearson – uh, because Drew Pearson is the host now of the Rayfield Wright Memorial Golf Tournament, and uh, uh-huh. one, one more one more thing on Tony Dorsett, by the way, um, he recognized me before I can go up and talk to him, so I thought that was really really I cool. Agree. Um, and apparently, I am now known as the kid among <laughs> them because, and I don't know it because. So Kenny Gant was the first one who recognized the me. Shark. Uh, the, the shark from the 90s, uh, part of the great train the, the great trade robbery that sent Herschel Walker to Minnesota and uh, and Kenny was there last year and he's a, he's a great guy and he's probably the one I talked to the most last year actually and so I, it didn't surprise me as much when he remembered me. but I was getting my high school football credentials figured out. I'm I, like I'm faced out of my phone sending emails and I just hear Nolan. And I look up, and it's the shark, and it's Kenny Gant. And, I'm, and I was so taken aback. I was like, you remember me? And he goes, yeah, you're the kid journalist that last year kept bugging everybody. <laughs> <laughs> so it's not five minutes later after I'm done talking to Kenny Gant, and Kenny goes off and uh, gets a mimosa or whatever and hangs out in the clubhouse, that I look up from my phone. I was sending another email. I just look up, and Tony didn't say a thing, but he's pointing his finger at me and making that, like, I recognize you look like kind of squinting his eyebrows a little bit. And he goes, you're the kid. I'm like, yeah, apparently I'm the kid. And uh, TD took, uh, so background last year, TD took five minutes out of his day uh, at a, in the golf, uh, on the course in, in a golf cart, just to tell me to keep at it and just to keep, keep sure. grinding because, uh, you know, he was overlooked. He was the smallest of his family. He was the youngest of his family, and he was determined sure. to get out of this small town in Pennsylvania. Sure. And uh, he ended up being a Heisman Trophy winner and a Hall of Famer and a Super Bowl champion. And so the fact that he took five minutes to go out of his way and give me that advice last year meant a lot to me. And then just the fact that he remembered me and he remembered the, the, the advice he gave me, especially with everything mentally he's going through, meant a lot to me and really spoke volumes of, of the man Tony is. But I think a lot of that has to do with Rayfield and the man Rayfield was because obviously he had such a big positive influence on these guys. And I, I think you're going to hear that next one. We have Drew Pearson, the host of the Rayfield Wright Memorial Golf the Tournament. The 88. The original 88. He is uh, here on Nolan's Corner. Just some of the, just a one memory of Rayfield yes. in particular uh, that that you have, and just what it means for you to be the host of this tournament this year. Well, a lot of great memories of Rayfield. What a great teammate, and kind of took me under his wing when I came in as an undrafted free agent rookie. And I think he liked me because we kind of took the the road less traveled to get to becoming a Dallas Cowboy and then having success. But the time I remember is when Coach Landry 
uh, complimented me in my first scrimmage we had with the veteran players, the rookies and the veterans, and I made a crackback block, and I didn't think anything of it. But in the meeting that night, Coach Landry singled that out. He said, if you do stuff like that, you got a chance to make this team. And so after the meeting, I'm just, oh, I'm, I'm crazy. I said, I live to play another day. So I'm walking out the meeting, and Rayfield comes up to me and puts his arm around me. He said, man, you know, when the coach sings you out like that, you got a chance to make this team. You just keep it up, keep working hard. And that meant so much to me because that's the first sign I had that I really had a chance to make the Dallas Cowboys. <laughs> and if Rayfield Wright is telling you that, then you're in good shape. So uh, uh, that encouraged me to go the rest of the distance through training camp and finally make the Cowboy team. Hut, hut. Big cat, my man. Just one more, just because you're the host of this tournament. What does it mean to you that uh, that the family asked you to do this and you're, and you're hosting on behalf of your friend? Well, it means like this. If they asked anybody else, I would have been upset, okay? <laughs> All right? Because uh, I love Rayfield and I want to do this. And uh, Di, his wife, uh, I'm just so honored that she asked me. And I think the reason is because Rayfield might have said something to her about me that, you know, she took to heart. And that's why I'm here uh, to support him. But uh, just uh, glad that the turnout, the participation, former Cowboys, his teammates, even other guys. We even let Tim Brown hang up and hang out of here, you know, from the Raiders and stuff. So. But he's from DeSoto, so we give him a break. But, uh, you know, just everybody, the community supporting and then the causes that it's, it supports, the fire department, the uh, first responders and people like that, because they meant so much to Rayfield and help Rayfield here in Willis Point uh, Park. So, uh, what is it, Point Park? Willow Park, yeah. Park, Willow Park. I've been out here so many times, I shouldn't know it by now. I think I'm going to get a condo out here, man. You got any condos for sale next time I... It's, it's blowing up. Yeah, I see it. Yeah, every here, time so. I come down here, it looks different. Yeah, it does. It right does. on, man. So that's cool, and, and I love the fact First that... First of all, the fact that you just got the banter with Drew Pearson <laughs> pisses me off. <laughs> but but I love the fact that because obviously Ray Rayfield made his home out here for a time Bob Lilly was out there out west before he moved up north, you know I, I just love that you know my home of Parker County is becoming that uh, that home of these retired football players that want to make the rest of their life around here and that's cool for I mean uh, you know, I, I it's a podcast I don't care but I'm gonna shout out the ticket again. You know, you and I listened to The Hang Zone at, at Parker County Ice House on Thursday. And, you know, it, it, it's starting to get more noticeable. Now, the changes are coming with it. I don't necessarily like because my hometown is becoming something that it wasn't when I was growing up. But at the same time, you know, he's asking for a condo in Willow Park 20 years ago. Who knows where the hell Willow Park is? I would have voted against it, just <laughs> FYI. Hey, I, if, if Drew Pearson lived in my backyard, I would not have I'm any not complaints. voting against Drew Pearson getting a condo <laughs> in Willow Park. What I'm saying is I would have voted but against the expansion. I, I just love that. And, and that's another yeah. one. I mean, undrafted free agent. I mean, and probably the greatest undrafted free agent of all time. Well, I don't, I don't know if you heard... Um, when Drew showed up, I know he showed up late. Uh, again, shout out to the ticket. Showed up a little late, and uh, Donnie said, "Hey, I'm sorry, man. We only have 30 seconds." And he said, "Hey, it only took me 23 seconds to get the hell Mary against Minnesota." 
There perfect. you go. I mean, exactly. Like, you're I mean, right. So I just, it's, it's great to have, the, and, and I think that that's what I don't want to lose in professional sports is that community, right? I mean, back in the day, in the 70s and the 80s, and, you know, we mentioned Charlie Waters or uh, earlier. One of the things that I love about Charlie, number one, he was my favorite safety of all time. I'm sorry, Cliff Harris, but Charlie was my favorite. Um, he, they hated the commanders or whatever we're calling them now. Like you, you didn't hey, like Dorsett said the Redskins on <laughs> okay, record. So I'm going to call them the Redskins. You, you, you didn't like them. You just didn't like them. And now in this day and age with free agency and changing teams and things of that nature, I mean, it, it you know, back in the day, NFL was like college, and now college is unfortunately becoming more like the NFL. But it was you were either a cowboy or you weren't. And that was just it. And, you know, they stick together. It's a fraternity. Um, I love it. And I love the fact that TD, I know that he went to Denver for, you know, what, a couple of years afterwards. Um, you know, Emmett obviously went to um, Arizona. Uh, thankfully, Troy didn't go anywhere because Troy's my other cowboy quarterback hero. Um, it, and it's just good to see them all come together. And it's good that you're able to do that. And I'm very, again, I'm just so – I'm envious of you. I'm not going to lie. And I'll have to ask my Lord and Savior for forgiveness on that. <laughs> uh, but I'm happy you're able to do it. And I'm living vicariously through you. And it's really awesome. So good job. You've done a good job. So this last one comes from uh, Maury Buford, the punter, um, who is a good who's a good Texas boy. He's a Mount Pleasant Tiger. He was a Texas Tech Red Raider. Uh, drafted uh, eighth round, uh, 215th overall in the 1982 draft. Uh, and the punter for the great 85 Bears. Uh, good Texas boy, knew Rayfield pretty well, and uh, knew, knew Dye very well uh, as well, and you'll hear that here in the interview. And uh, he, he took a minute to give me his thoughts on it, and, uh, and uh, this will be the last one here in my tribute to my friend. Uh, this is Maury Buford giving his thoughts on Rayfield Wright and uh, what this tournament means to him here on Nolan's Court. I guess just first to any Rayfield story you have, just a great memory you have of him. Uh, obviously, his impact is what makes today possible. Just what do you, what do you remember about him the most? Well, I, I mean, the the main thing that I remember about Rayfield. I mean, I was a little boy. I grew up. I grew up a couple hours east of here, called Mount Pleasant, and I was a huge Cowboy fan. And uh, of course, that's back when when Rayfield was in the heyday, and the Cowboys were in their heyday. And I, I mean, I, I loved him, loved him, and then had an opportunity. Probably two or three years ago, played in a charity golf tournament, and uh, Rayfield was there. Had an opportunity to meet he and uh, and die, and um, um, you know, just such a, you know, it always seems like, you know, that the the, the bigger the man, the, the more gentle they are. And he was he was a gentle giant, and uh, I certainly do miss him, miss miss his friendship, and uh, you know, miss his smile. What does it mean for you to just be invited to this uh, tournament just to honor his memory and everything that he believed in and stood for uh, well, on a day like this? I mean, I told, you know, I told Di, I said anytime she has anything, uh, you know, related to Rayfield, you know, that I'd be more than happy to, to help out in any way that I possibly can. And, um, you know, like I said, just to perpetuate his memory and, and uh, the great the great things that he stood for and the values that he stood for. And uh, uh, I just, yeah, I'm honored to be here. So that's cool to me because I love hearing not only someone who like didn't play with him, and and I wanted to get me and Joe Green. I wasn't able to unfortunately as someone who played against him in, like in Super Bowls and stuff like that. But just someone who was younger, and as a punter who I think punters go 
very unappreciated in the NFL because they probably hold a lot of – they really do hold a lot of the game in their hands just by flipping field position. You know, and Maury Buford obviously being one of the greatest in NFL history. Agreed. Uh, I mean, just speaking about what a great man Rayfield was, <clears throat> you know, that, that really speaks volumes to him because they didn't even play in the same era. Right. By the time Buford gets into the league, Rayfield's already done. His pads are hung up. His cleats are hung up. And, you know, his his impact on the game, while still felt, was done. Well, and we talked about this, you know, last night off off the record, uh, uh, you know, about your playing days and whatever. And, you know, at the end of the day, you know, Rayfield was able to um, have the platform because of what he did do on the field to make a difference off the field. Um, and I think that that's the most important part, right? It doesn't matter how many touchdowns you score. It doesn't matter how many sacks you have. You know, it's what you do off the field. And obviously, Rayfield has made a huge impact, um, you know, in Parker County and made a huge impact on those other people's lives who now are making impacts in other communities. So it's a spider web, right? It starts here and it, and it expands out. Um, the only thing that I have to ask, are you sure that wasn't Jimbo Fisher that you were just interviewing? I, I, I'm sure. I'm just, <laughs> hey, I, I told you he's a good old Texas boy. No, Mount, I know. Mount, Mount Pleasant Tiger. You know, no, I, I know. I know. You know, know. We, we, we have, uh, you know, I have family friends on my mom's side or dad, you know, that, uh, yep. have Mount, that live in Mount Pleasant and uh, own an IHOP in Mount Pleasant, actually. Yep. And, uh, you know, and, and, you know, it's just like I, I actually wanted to almost stop him and just talk to him about Mount Pleasant for a minute. <laughs> I, I, but of I thought course, he was either driving a race car but, or he was coaching the Aggies. But I that's, sure. that's Maury Buford. And, no, you I know, love I just, it. I love and, it. And, and I want, like, I, I almost want to go back if I could just to listen to that 85 season. He stuck with the Bears for a little bit longer after that, I think. Um, yeah, to, to, uh, yeah, 85 and 86. And came back in uh, 89 through 91. Did he have that punt? I, in Chicago, where it went backwards, or was that Sean Landetta? Oh, that's a great question. I think it was Sean Landetta. I don't think it was him. I anyway, don't think it was him. Yeah, go ahead. But um, I like. I almost just want to hear a, a you know, a, a spat between him and Ditka, and just the two voices <laughs> that you're hearing in that from Chicago, <laughs> the, the born and raised yeah. versus the Chicago guy. Yeah. <laughs> but I mean, you know, that just, I, you know, like this is. This is all for Rayfield, and, and just the fact that he had such an impact on a punter from not even the same era, I mean, just speaks volumes about the man Agreed. he is, and just and not only that, but obviously after his playing days, and after and after, uh, you know, like like we mentioned, Kenny Gant as well. After their playing days, you know, he's he's such an advocate for the retired players that. Uh, you know, want to get together. It's almost like they have their own little alumni club that get together every now and then. And it's so great. And that's what this golf tournament feels like almost. Um, you know, obviously with proceeds going to the food bank, but like they're just getting and together. First responders, and right? First responders, uh, first responders as well. Yes. Yep. For uh, Willow Park. And, you know, it, it, it's so, it's just so great to see. And, and that was the greatest thing. Like I, when I was in the meet and greet this morning, I almost didn't want to go up to a lot of people. And, you know, I'm, I'm glad Kenny and uh, TD sought me out. But I knew, I knew that, you know, this was the meet and greet where people were going to be coming up to them, asking for autographs, asking for pictures and stuff like that. And most of these guys I'd met last year. So the – I don't want to say the novelty had worn off, but I was definitely not as starstruck as I would have been – as I was last year. And so I was just – I was there working. You know, I was there, you know, and I felt like I, I truly believed this year that I belonged. And 
I didn't want to ruin their time of, you know, kind of this many NFL alumni meeting where they're getting together and talking. And, you know, I, I don't know how often these guys actually get together. I doubt it's that often, actually. And so I don't want to be the one to ruin that. And so to see them in that meeting room in the clubhouse uh, th- this morning was just – it's a special thing to witness. And like I just mentioned, you don't want to be the one to go up and break up that conversation, you know. And, and so and, – and the fact that, you know – and I'm, I'm going to get personal here. And, again, at the risk of my dad trying not to get him to cry on the mic. But my dad's mom was the same way with hit with her family with her brothers and sisters, right? She was the host. She had to keep everyone together and she would be the one that everyone's ready to go home. Dinner's been eaten. And she's like, Oh, I just threw dessert in the oven. Are you going to want to stay? Like it it almost feels to me that that's who Brayfield is as a person. Like, no, let's stick around for 30 more minutes. Right. You know, let's, let's, let's just spend this time as former players. And, and again, not all these are former teammates. You know, Mark Buford didn't play for the Cowboys at all in his career. As a matter of fact, he was a giant at one point. Right. Uh, mean Joe Green, obviously, who cost us two Super Bowls, right? Like, but, you know, they, they just get together, and it, it was a special era for the NFL. And much of your point you just brought up, it's almost like we're losing that novelty of teammates. Now, I know, now we've seen it. Uh, if anyone, anyone of my listeners subscribes to ESPN, Plus, uh, Peyton Manning came out with a. Uh, uh, kind of a mini docu-series where Peyton Manning travels the U.S. telling the story of the NFL. And there are a few times that he calls upon old teammates. You know, so obviously they keep in touch nowadays still. Right. And obviously there's still a bit of a brotherhood and a camaraderie. But I agree with you that seeing these old 70s players and just the way they interact and love each other like they're still in that locker room, it's something special to see. I agree. And, And I'm so glad to see it. And and I think that that you know that translates into just normal day life also, right? It's who you surround yourself with, and I think that's some very that's very important. Um, you know, we we all have jobs, we all have things we have to do, and people we have to interact with, and some people are not easy to get along with, um, and you have to love them. And I think that's what Rayfield did, right? I, I'm pretty sure there are people that out there that Rayfield didn't necessarily. Maybe didn't like, I don't know, or, you know, there was some rub, but he loved him. And I think that that's, you know, that's the epitome of what he is and, and what he was. And, um, and again, that's because he loved the Lord, because that's what the Lord calls us to do. So um, I'm very excited that you get to be a part of that, and I hope you're a part of it next year as well. I hope, I hope we're here again in a year <laughs> having the same conversation. Rayfield Wright was a good man. He was a good teammate, and that, I feel, is expressed through his teammates in these interviews. He was friendly to media. He was friendly to his community. Obviously, he reached out and helped his community with the proceeds going to the food bank and the local first responders. He was a great man, and he was a great friend. Hey sports fans, this is Nolan Ruth. Do you have a business you want to promote? 
I'm currently looking for businesses that seek advertising opportunities to promote on my show and any event I may attend. If this sounds like something you would like to jump in on, contact me, Nolan Ruth, for the opportunity to advertise and or partner with my podcast to benefit the both of us. Feel free to reach out to me on Twitter at RealNolanRuth. That's RealNolanRuth on Twitter or at my email, nolan.e.ruth at gmail.com. That's N-O-L-A-N dot E dot R-U-T-H at gmail.com. Thanks for listening. Welcome back to Nolan's Corner, a show that is currently watching Monday Night Football where the Raiders led pretty well against the Chiefs, and the Chiefs have come back and now lead 24-23, to and as I'm speaking, are kicking a field goal, and he missed it, so it will remain 24-23. That was the ugliest field goal. Kansas City just kicked the ugliest field goal. So this is Nolan's Corner, and obviously you just heard me get into, and my dad as well, get a little deep, get a little personal here, because Rayfield Wright was a good man, and this show is dedicated to him and his memory and everything he meant to me as a young journalist and young sports reporter trying to break into the game, and I greatly, greatly appreciate everything he's done for me. But now it is time to get back to the Nolan's Corner that I want this show to be week in and week out. You heard it on our first segment when we went overtime. We're going to try not to do that here. And we are led into Final Thoughts featuring the great Mike Ruth. Thank you. Well, first of all, I want to um, commend you on sticking it out. Uh, I'm very proud of you. I'm a proud father. Uh, I know you've been through a lot of crap. Um, And I hope that You continue to come to me for help as you need it. Uh, whatever I can do, support. Um, you know I love to hear myself talk, so I'll always come on your show. Um, I'm hoping one day to get on uh, the uh, dig show with you guys so I can talk talk some crap. Um, but really, my final thoughts are, you know, sports are great. Um, you know, this past weekend, it was OU Texas – and for those of you who don't know, we are a house divided. My wife is UT. Uh, my oldest stepson is uh, a Longhorn <laughs> fan as well. And what isn't he? Actually? And a fan of everybody else <laughs> that is doing well at the time. Um, but you know, my girls came out. Uh, we all sat down, watched the game together, and at the end of the day. Number one, I called the score. Unfortunately, I was off by seven because I thought that Oklahoma would at least score seven. seven. I called 49 to seven. Um, but, you know, it was a great day, and it brings everybody together. Um, it's it, – OU Texas is such a great weekend for me. Um, it's, you know, my dad's birthday is tomorrow. Um, you know, it's the – you had to bring up Nana, and, of course, you know, her – Heavenly date is a couple of weeks from today. And, you know, it's just a day for me that I love. I love OU Texas. I don't care what the outcome is. What I will say as a realistic OU fan is we have to have patience. We've been through harder times. We've been through the John Blake era. Believe me, it's going to be okay. 
Um, you know, I, 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 if my life revolved around college sports or sports in general, um, it would be a sad thing. And thankfully it's not, it's revolved around, um, my Lord and savior, but sports are great and it brings families together. It brings friends together. It just, it's a, it's a good time. And, uh, you know, Saturday sucked as far as the outcome was concerned, but man, I loved hanging out with you. I loved hanging out with my daughters. I it's it's a great time, and we don't need to take sports too seriously. And I think we do sometimes. Um, this podcast is great. I love what you do. I'm so proud of you, um, and it, it obviously provides uh, for you. And and it and it's a job opportunity. You, you're doing what you love, like you said, what Norm said. Um, but sometimes we don't need to take it so seriously. Um, and my final thought actually is around baseball. Um, last night, I love baseball. And last night was one of the best nights just watching San Diego play uh, the Mets. And no matter the outcome, it was fun sitting here with you watching that game. And playoff baseball is great. And I think that if, if baseball gets it right, um, they can come close to what the NFL provides from a playoff standpoint. October baseball is wonderful. You get the East Coast with sometimes snow. It's cold, right? People are bundled up. And then you get the West Coast and at 5.30 in the afternoon on the West Coast. And it's sunny and everything's great. And uh, then you get the Astros in the Dome and they open it at, in the seventh inning. Um, just playoff baseball, watch it more often. It's it's good. And uh uh, baseball's a wonderful game, and I don't think that we've done a good – Major League Baseball's done a good enough job of really um, marketing the teams and and their stars. Uh, I had a conversation with Michael Gregg. Uh, that's my oldest stepson, Nolan's uh, stepbrother, um, the other day about that, that, you know, in his lifetime – who are the record holders and what do we do? You know, who do we focus on? Aaron Judge, 62, great, right? Um, and I know that you and I want to talk about that as far as what that meant, but I think they do a really poor job of, of you know, really pitching their stars. And I think that baseball has a really good future in front of it if they really pitched it right. And I think that uh, uh, they need to better, do a better job of that for sure. You bring up an interesting point, and I, I for one, love uh, October baseball, as you mentioned. And if any of my listeners listen to my last show, which if you haven't at this point, why haven't you? Um, but I know you did, Dad, and I know you heard the conversation between me and Seth about the college football playoff and the way that it's expanding, and uh, the biggest argument around that was home field advantage. But... I almost feel like, you know, baseball has been accused of cheapening the product. And I agree with that in a lot of regards, but I don't necessarily agree with that in regards to the playoffs because this wild card was one of the most fun I've seen. I mean, I am already so pumped for the divisional series, you know. I never got pumped for a divisional series watching a one-game wild card. That just determined who who that last team was. Well, now – You've got four teams, and you've only got two, and you've got two with a bye, right? So you have a, you literally have a divisional champion 
playing in a wild card. Well, and I mentioned and they that, have to win those games. And I mentioned that earlier, right? Like the new format is great. And I know that we talked about this last night. What happens in 2012 when the Rangers played the Orioles? Did the Orioles beat the Rangers two out of three? Don't know. But, you know, we still had Josh Hamilton at that point, right? We were coming off two World Series appearances. Um, the pitching wasn't great. But, you know, what happens? And you never know. And I think that what Major League Baseball is doing with their new format, I, I, I really like it. And I think they're going the right direction. They need to keep it going, though. And, um, <clears throat> you know, Mike Trout, for example, one of the best baseball players that I've ever seen uh, in person and they just don't market it enough, right? And Otani, yes, of course Otani's great. Why? Because he can pitch and he can hit. So he's he's the Babe Ruth of, you know, 2020, 22. Wonderful. Well, there are other players out there that are doing the same, th- not necessarily the same things, pitching and hitting, but are putting up good mon- good numbers and can that can grow the game. Uh, Toronto, for example. I love Toronto. Bichette, are you kidding me? I mean, all these these are kids. These, I watch their fathers play, <laughs> right? And 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 we don't pump that up enough. That you know, it, I, I you, know, you got Guerrero, you got Bichette, I, you know. I just think that baseball has got to do a better job of marketing the game more than anything. Um, and October baseball is a great time to do it. Um, you know, football is still in the infancy of the season. Uh, I, I will still argue that I'm not sure that the NFL regular season games mean that much until you get towards the end of the season. Um, so it's becoming college football, right? And college football, um, as far as I'm concerned, the regular season doesn't matter at all because everybody's going to say it's it's Alabama, Georgia, Ohio State. And if they even if they lose two games, they're probably going to be in. The, the game is suffering from that standpoint. And I think this is where Major League Baseball could really step in and, and, and maybe take some of that chunk. He is the chappy of Nolan's Corner. Thank you to the Hang Zone and Jake <laughs> Kemp for allowing me to steal his father's nickname. Uh, he is my father, Nolan Ruth. Or uh, I like to call him El Padre. That's what, he's, that's what he's in my phone as. And if you've ever seen Daddy's Home 2, that's what Mel Gibson's character wants to be called as a grandfather, El Padre. No. I will be called coach. I don't know. You're already a Padres fan. You kind of resemble Mel Gibson in that movie, kind right, of. Fair enough. <laughs> I like El Padre. Sans the mullet. Not, not saying my, my kids someday will once call you El Padre, but, you know, I just, I don't know. For this show's purposes, I kind of like El Padre. Well, guys, thank you so much for sticking around. Tweet me your questions and your comments. I love being engaged with my listeners uh now that i'm back i know i'm gaining a small portion of y'all back and i hope to gain the rest of y'all back and uh, anyone else that uh y'all can send my podcast to i would really appreciate it i'm just trying to grow my brand i've gotten back to where i can do what i want to do and i can do it at my own pace and uh i'm i'm feeling i'm feeling right back at home and i'm feeling free again so please uh do whatever you can to support me whether it's just sending this podcast to a couple of your friends uh, tweeting me your questions so that I have stuff to talk about every week, your comments. Uh, I would love to do a Q&A session where I can just get enough of y'all's questions built up and I can just break down for 10 minutes uh, what I think about what y'all have uh, sports-wise if y'all really care about my opinion that much. Uh, I don't know why you would. Um, I don't, so don't worry about it. <laughs> <laughs> Guys, if you've made it this far, I appreciate y'all listening to the ramblings of just another sports fan. And until my next show... 
This is your host, Nolan Ruth, signing off. Shout out to Digsy.